Okay, I have tried so hard to come up with the words that I want to say about Pastor Dave Brackenridge from Scotland. Uh, And it's so hard because there are so many things I would love to say about him, and we would be here much longer than I think you all could stomach. (laughs) Ha ha, no pun intended, um, because your stomachs would be growling. But Pastor Dave Brackenridge from Home Church Scotland, he and I met at the beginning of this year. I will tell you, it is a divine appointment from God that we met. Uh, The relationship that we have is not just two pastors that are going through the same stuff, but actually our relationship goes much further than that. We are brothers in Christ first and foremost, but we're also, I feel like we're almost like natural brothers. Like he is part of my family and my family has truly adopted, adopted him. He has adopted us into his family. His church family has adopted us in and we are adopting their family in our church, amen? Yeah, yeah. So my brother, my friend, my fellow pastor, Dave Brackenridge, come on out here. (laughs) Church, if you stretch out your arms, I'm gonna go ahead and just pray for him. So Father, we just thank you so much for Pastor Dave. We just thank you for everything that you're gonna do through him this morning, which you've already done through him on Wednesday night and yesterday. Um, Father, I just want to thank you that the words that come out of his mouth are the words that you want him to speak. I thank you that your peace is upon him right now, that any nervousness or anxiety goes away and confidence continues to just swell up in him. Father, I just thank you that um, as the words penetrate our hearts this morning, that transformation, like I said earlier, will occur. And Father, if there's anybody, anybody here that's in this place or watching online that need to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they will today, Father. And we just thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, home church. You guys good? Iron brew will get you through. It's true. And uh, I can't believe I'm here. This is, I thought I would come here and feel crazy and nervous, but I don't. Um, I feel crazy emotional, like... This is, I can't believe I'm here preaching in America and some good-looking people here, as Pastor Jeff said, you know. So, Pastor Elijah, self-declared, gorgeous man from, as he said last week, but, you know, I'm just so thankful to be here. Hi to everyone in my church who's watching back home, and I'm, I'm genuinely, you know, people say things because they think they sound Christian. Genuinely, I feel so humbled to be here on the platform and the, the fact that Pastor Jeff would trust me with the platform. I'm so thankful for that. Um, I'm not going to give a massive introduction to me because my sermon's really long. Um, so, but I'll, I'll give you a quick one for those who weren't here yesterday. Uh, I've been married for 22 years almost to uh, my wife Ella. She's from Poland. Um, I think there's a picture maybe that you can see, but I don't know if it's still queued up from yesterday or not. If it is, it, it will come up behind me. I've got four kids. I've got Aaron, uh, who is almost 20. I've got Colin, who is 18. I've got Max, who is 16. And I've got Maya, my wee beautiful baby girl, who is 13. She's not a baby, but she's still my baby, if you catch me. Uh, she's 13. Uh, so I love her very much. Um, I love my church, uh, home church, Scotland. And I love Jesus. Crazy, crazy love Jesus. Uh, and I love Bible teaching. So I, I say, like, I don't call myself a preacher, but I believe God has anointed me to teach the Word of God, and that's what I love 
to do. Uh, so I'm going to try and, and do some of that today and look at a really familiar story that you guys have heard probably if you've ever been in church a hundred times over. Uh, it's one of the leading stories probably in the Bible. And when I felt God telling me to talk on it, I even called Jeff. who was like, look, man, this is what I'm feeling, but I know your church have heard this a hundred times. But uh, I just felt I was to speak on it. So I pray today uh, that as I read scripture and, and try and just share really what God is showing me through it, that there would be a fresh revelation in this house today of what God is trying to teach us through this. So I'm going to ask you to ignore the fact you've ever heard it before. I'm going to ask you to have fresh ears to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. I'm going to ask you not to listen to my message today, but to hear my message today. It's two totally different things, listening and hearing something. I'm going to ask you to hear what God has to say to the church today. And I genuinely believe lives will be transformed in this house today by the power of Jesus. I genuinely believe that. And actually, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you all a chance to respond at the end of this service to what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place. So I want you to be prepared for that and be brave for that and have the courage to take a stand today for what God is going to do in all of our lives. Is that okay? Uh, guys, can I pray before I read scripture? Father, I am so humbled to be here and I thank you so much for this opportunity. I love this church uh, greatly. Uh, and I know that you love it way more than I do. But I thank you for sending me here. And I just pray today, God, that you would be at work in this house, that you would be speaking powerfully through me today, that it would not be my words that people hear, but it would be your words that people hear. And God, it would not be me that people see, but it would be you that people see. This is for you. It's all for you. It's all about you. And I just pray, God, that you would open our hearts, our minds, our souls, our everything to be cut to the heart today by what you've got to say, to be impacted, to be corrected, to be transformed, to, be, to, to have whatever response you want us to have today. God, I pray that you would lead us to that place, and I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 9 today. Uh, I'm, I'll read quite a bit of it actually, and then I'm just going to start talking. Uh, so Acts chapter 9, going from verse 1, if you want to get it up, but I think it's going to go on the screen in case you can't understand what I'm actually saying. Uh, are, are we doing okay with that so far? Yeah? Awesome. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, uh, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now he went on his way. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days 
he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. It's still there to this day. And at the house of Judas, um, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he's seen a vision that a man named Ananias come to him and lays his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose, and he was baptized and taken food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man that made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Amen. That's an awesome passage of Scripture, by the way. Paul, the guy who was the biggest enemy of the church probably ever in world history, goes about in Damascus proving that Jesus is the Christ. And I believe today there is crazy proof that Jesus is the Christ. I believe there's as much proof as there's ever been. And one of the main bits of proof that Jesus is the Christ is this testimony right here. I'm going to try to uh, get into that a little bit as well. So just to set a little bit of context, just before this happened, there's a, there's a guy called Stephen, and he's preaching the gospel. And he preached one of the greatest gospel messages that anyone had ever heard to Paul and to a lot of other Jewish people. But rather than accept the message that Stephen was preaching, the Jews decided they were going to kill him. And as they stoned Stephen for preaching the gospel, Paul stood and watched the jackets, watched the coats of the people who were killing this man of God. That's the sort of man that Paul was in uh, chapter 7 of Acts, it tells us that the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 8 that Saul approved of the execution. This is who this guy Paul is. So in case you've never heard of him before, this guy hated Christians. This guy hated what was happening, that these people were believing in a guy that he thought was dead. He was soon to find out that Jesus was not dead after all. And he's still not dead, by the way. I love that, right? It says he was ravaging the church. 
He was entering house after house and he was dragging off men and women in chains to persecute those that, be that belonged to the way, that believed in Jesus. I don't think you'll find an example in Scripture and I don't think you'll find an example living in the world today who is more against Jesus than this guy was. What's crazy is this was all off the back of a proper good sermon as well. And that tells me that with how angry he was and murdering people and dragging people away, sometimes when we get convicted of the truth, a response should be to accept correction. A response should be to accept Jesus. But so often we just get angry. So often we get defensive. We get into defense mode. We get into attack mode. And we behave in a manner that we shouldn't do. Sometimes God convicts people and we react in anger rather than submission. That's what happened here. And sadly, it still happens like crazy in the church. I've had people, not tons, but I've had people leave my church because they're offended at something I said. They didn't agree. And I didn't agree with what you said. Well, sorry, pal, you can't disagree with what I said because everything I say comes from the Word of God. Right? So first and foremost, you didn't disagree. You were just offended. You couldn't take it. You didn't want to take correction, and it's easier for you to walk away than say, okay, I'm going to take that correction, and I'm going to fix that thing that's in my life. So I just want to encourage you. When you are convicted of something that's said from this platform by Pastor Jeff or Pastor Jeff or anyone else, ex receive the correction. Receive the love. Receive the message. Don't rebel against it. If you find yourself reacting to something, it's probably the Holy Spirit convicting you. It's probably not him offending you. When you feel cut to the heart, just go, God, what are you trying to say here? Because my word, Paul went through some stuff because he didn't do that. God kind of made an example of him, actually. Um, this is one of the greatest stories that ever, that, that's ever happened in the history of the world, not just in the Bible. But it, amazingly, after Paul watches Stephen being killed and after he's dragging all these people off to get into all sorts of persecution, we get this incredible conversion story. I just wanted to give you a little bit of background to that. Paul becomes the dominant figure in the second half of the book of Acts. And the guy who was most against the church wrote tons and tons and tons of the New Testament. Tons of it. A few years ago, there was a lawyer. He was an American lawyer by the name of Frank Morrison. He wasn't a believer. But he said there were two events that if you could disprove these events, you overturn Christianity. And Christianity's got nothing to offer. The resurrection was one of them, and the conversion of Paul was another, because the conversion of Paul proves Christianity. And I'll explain why uh, a little bit later on. Frank Morrison became, became overwhelmingly convinced that the evidence was so strong and so powerful that he gave his life to Jesus. Now, I want to just confirm to you guys, in case there's anyone with any questions, Paul was a real, actual person. Right, this is not fiction, this is factual. Paul existed, Jesus existed, Paul was persecuting people. There's loads of proof of this outside the Bible, by the way, if you want to look for it, there's hundreds of it. I've been to Rome twice, and in Rome, 
There's an actual prison that actual Paul was actually in, right? Paul was real. Jesus is real. This is a true story. I just want to cover that. There's some crazy people in the world that are like, yeah, the Bible's poetry. No, it's not. Some of it is, but all is a point. This is true. This is a historical account of what happened to an actual guy. I just want to cover that, all right? This is an unlikely conversion. But what gives me so much courage is that every one of us in this room has got people in our lives that we think are unlikely conversions. The, most, the person with the greatest amount of faith in here, if they were honest with themselves, has got a friend or a family member that they think is just too far gone. I've prayed for them long enough. They're just not going to follow Jesus. They're, they're, they're off. No one's beyond God's conviction. No one is beyond Jesus changing their life. So start believing for the people you stopped believing for. All right? No one is beyond God's conviction. So Paul is trying to stop the spread of Christianity, and this crazy event happens in, in the book of Timothy when Paul's talking about his own experience. He says, at midday, there was a light that hit him that was brighter than the sun. That doesn't mean a whole lot to me in Scotland, but I walked out in your parking lot this morning. We don't get sun like what you get. I went to see someone, and I walked out, and I was like, whoa, my what? I was like, I can't see. I'm walking about like that. You know what I mean? I, I, I must have looked like a little bit special. But anyway, I couldn't really see what I was doing. It was so bright. And Paul gets smacked with a light at midday. It was only 10 o'clock in the morning out there, right? At midday. Brighter than the mid... I mean, that is like... That is crazy, crazy bright. Right? I just want you to, to understand that. Crazy bright light. And suddenly, without warning for Paul, he's just knocked to his knees by what is going on. And again, what's really interesting is he had a chance to respond to the message that Stephen preached and he didn't respond. He heard, I am telling you now, he heard about Jesus in Jerusalem loads of times, and he didn't respond, so Jesus just knocked him out. I love that. He just knocked him out. And here's the thing. <laughs> Jesus is going to have his way. Jesus is going to have his will. And we can either do this the easy way or the hard way. I mean, there's so many people and so many churches that never get to see God move because God needs to wait till they're out the way first. Don't be those people. God's going to do some crazy stuff in this church. This church is ready for an explosion. I believe that. And uh, some of you all are going to see it. I pray that all of you all are going to see it. History probably tells me that some of you won't because people often stand against what God's doing. I don't understand why. Please don't do that, guys. God is going to have his way with you or without you. You might as well be a part of it. So Jesus, so Paul's walking along. He gets knocked down. He's on the ground. He's blinded. And he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul is stoning along, he's killing folk, he's mur like murdering folk, he's watching folk being stoned, he's dragging folk off in chains because they're, in his opinion, worshipping a dead guy. 
they are doing stuff in the name of a dead guy. And Paul's like, this dude, Jesus is dead, so I'm just going to go and I'm going to protect Judaism. I'm going to protect my religion. I'm going to protect what I believe. And he's doing all this stuff, and he gets knocked to the ground, and he's blind, and he can't see anything. And then he comes face to face with this guy, Jesus, that he thought was dead, but he's not. He must have got a fright. Oops. So Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting those people. Not why are you persecuting my church. Why are you persecuting me? When we come against other Christians, we're coming against God. And I, don't, and I think if we knew that, we would be an awful lot kinder with our words. I think we'd be a lot kinder with our actions. I think we'd be so much kinder with our attitudes. And I think we'd give people an awful lot more grace than we actually do. If we understood that if I hurt that person, I am hurting Jesus himself. It's quite a scary thought, actually. Jesus shares in our pain. That's wonderful, isn't it? How lonely do you feel when you're going through something, when you're hurting with something? But to know that Jesus hurts when we hurt. Any one of you that's ever had a kid ever and you see that kid hurting, it breaks you. Way more than you've ever been broken by what you've been going through yourself. That's how Jesus feels about you. That's how Jesus feels about me. And if you don't know Jesus today, if you're in this house and you're not walking with Jesus, you don't know what that feels like, but I pray you will leave here different. There's nothing better than knowing that Jesus shares in our pain, that Jesus has our back, and that Jesus is literally standing with us, walking through every situation with us. So he tells him to go to this street and that this man called Ananias is going to help him. And then Jesus tells Ananias to go uh, and to meet Paul. He must have been absolutely terrified, by the way. I might cover that later if I've got a bit of time. He must have been like, you what now? But anyway, he got up and he went and he done it. Um, and he says, uh, go to the house of Judas um, and you'll find a man named Tarsus of Saul. For behold, he is praying. Now that's a really significant thing to tell us that Paul's praying because just so you understand Jewish men knew how to pray pray they would pray several times a day from certain positions and about certain things this guy Paul prayed every single day of his life but here he was praying properly for the first time and we grew up well you guys all way more than me have grown up in a country that thinks they're Christian because you pray before you eat a meal because you pray before you go to bed and you've got nice little songs that you sing to your children before you go to get bed about Jesus. And like, I'm sorry if this offends you. There's a whole lot of folk in America who think they're saved and they're not. And make sure it's not you. Make sure it's not you. You might have prayed your whole life. You might even believe in Jesus. But if you've not submitted your life to following Jesus, make sure you change it today. Prayer isn't a religious thing. Prayer is a communication with your father. And it's phenomenal. And if you don't know the power of it, again, I believe that that will change today. So Paul's praying. And this is really significant. Jesus says to this guy, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Iron Brew, hold on. 
It will get me through, man. It'll get me through. How much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I'll tell you what you don't get told in a whole lot of churches when you become a Christian. You don't get told you're going to have to suffer. You get told about love and peace and joy and grace and, all, and that's all true. But there's a, there is, if you give your life to Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. If you give your life to Jesus, you're going to suffer. And anyone who's told you that that's not true is a liar and a false teacher. And America's full of them. I've seen them on the telly. If you, whatever you want, you can receive in Jesus' name. It's not really what the Bible says. If you declare something with enough passion, you've got it. It's not really what the Bible says either. It, it, you know, talks about the will of God. Really, really important that, the will of God. There's a whole lot of people on a whole lot of TV stations talking rubbish. And everyone's believing them because it's a really easy message. And let's be honest, we would rather receive the easy message than receive the difficult message. Following Jesus is the greatest thing you'll ever do. Following Jesus is worth it. But following Jesus comes at a cost. Oh, every time. And my word did it come at a cost to Saul. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, In fact, factually, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life. And so, we see, we as Christians, when we get attacked, it seems to be that pastors don't prepare people enough for it because people start freaking out and going, why am I attacked? But you should be freaking out if you're not being attacked. Because it says if you live a godly life, you'll be persecuted. So if you ain't been persecuted, guess what? You ain't living a godly life. And you're not a threat to Satan. I've said this to my church before, like, I hope... Satan wakes up every day. I don't know whether he wakes up actually or whether he's just awake all the time. I don't really know about that, right? But I hope first thing Satan does when I wake up is go, oh no, here's Dave awake again. And I hope that's the same for every one of you as well. Because you're only going to come under attack if you're, if you're a threat. If you're living a godly, if, and if you're living a godly life, you are a threat. Because if you're living a godly life, everyone you come into contact with will be impacted by your life. You will experience persecution, guys, if you want to take this stuff seriously. Young people in your schools, man, I'm sorry, you guys are going to have it hard. You're going to have it tight. And so many young folk give up because they're just like, I can't really handle this, but trust me, it's worth it. I'm telling you as a guy who's been through it, it all becomes worth it if you truly follow Jesus. John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. So this is how you have peace. And then he goes on to say something crazy because you don't really link it to peace. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's that you will have again. Not you might have, not like dependent on this or dependent on that. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You will receive trouble, but Jesus is bigger than all of it. You have to know that. You have to believe that. Trouble for the life of a Christian is normal. It is not the exception. It is normal. But we seem to crumble under it. I don't know why. Like we do, let's be honest, eh? we crumble under pressure. We crumble under stress. We get more concerned about what we're going through 
than we do about Jesus. Suffering is to be expected. Let me tell you what trouble does not mean. It does not mean that God is absent. It does not mean that you have done something wrong. The amount of Christians I've heard when someone's gone through hardship and they say, what have you done wrong? What sin is there in your life? And I'm like, like where on earth did that come from? That's not how it works. Just because you're going through trouble does not mean that you're doing something wrong. Just because you've not been healed yet is not necessarily because you've got a lack of faith. It could be for a whole host of other reasons. Um, if, you're been, if you're going through a difficult time just now, it is not God punishing you. Someone needs to hear that. You're not being punished by God just because your life right now is tough. God is doing something else, which I'll try to come to. And suffering and persecution and hardship certainly does not mean that God is not faithful because He is. In every situation, in every storm, through every trial, God is faithful. So anyone who's ever thought, if you're going through something right now, that God has not been faithful, is not true. Jesus went through crazy suffering. Jesus suffered more than anybody. But the result of his suffering means I can be free. The result of his suffering means I can be forgiven. The result of his suffering means I can live a godly life. There's a purpose in the suffering of Jesus. And there's a purpose in your suffering. And there's a purpose in my suffering. And the purpose might be different. And I lived my whole life as a, as a Christian up through church and nobody ever told me this stuff. And I don't know why. I heard about the love of God a lot. And I love, I love the love of God. Of course I do. I, but I never get told that you're going to have to go through hard stuff. So when hard stuff happened, it smacked me right in the face and I wasn't prepared to deal with it. There's a situation in the uh, couple of Gospels that the disciples find themselves out on a boat in the middle of a storm and they're freaking out. Now, most of the disciples were fishermen. These guys knew the seas. These guys knew what a storm was. They'd been through a hundred thousand of them. And this particular storm was so scary that the disciples thought they were going to die. It was a really, really big storm. It was a really, really, really crazy storm. Are you all understanding me? Are we good? Yes, come on. And if you read a few verses before the passage about the storm, you find out it was Jesus who sent them into the storm. Jesus sent them in. Why? Well, because the situation they were in was Jesus had just fed a whole ton of folk with nothing. It was great. Read about it if you've never read it. And the people there were wanting to take Jesus by force and make him like some war ruler to go and defeat the Romans before it was his time to do so. It was a really scary situation. And had the disciples stayed in that situation, there was probably going to be a massive big barney and some of them might have ended up dead. Sometimes you simply end up in a little bit of a storm because being over there is worse. So we can thank Jesus for being here and not for being there. Rather than when we're here going, where are you, Jesus? What are you doing, Jesus? Well, I've, just, I've just taken you from the most horrific place. And, I, and actually, I'm with you in this place. So what are you freaking out about anyway? Chill out. Know what I mean? <laughs> Chill out. And then sometimes... Sometimes Jesus puts us through hardship to put us where he wants us to be. In, one of the, in Galatians 4, 13 and 13, Paul is writing, as you know, 
It's because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. So Paul's supposed to be somewhere else, but he gets an illness so he can't be somewhere else. So he ends up being in this particular place to preach the gospel and that God had to use his illness for him to be there because he's supposed to be there to preach the gospel and he wasn't supposed to be there. The illness wasn't an attack. The illness was what was being used by God for him to stay where he was a little bit longer. And that means a whole lot to me today because I'm really not feeling very well. I'm supposed to fly to Denver tomorrow and I'm not going because I'm not strong enough. And so I'm just like, God has got someone here that I have to speak to in the next three days. And I know God's got a plan in it, so I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to think, God, I'm here in America and God's deserted me. He's not deserted me. He's just directing me. He's just trying to have me where he wants me. And we need to all be open to God just having us where he wants us. And if he needs to use illness to do that, because sometimes if we admit it, if we didn't do the illness thing, we wouldn't listen. That's the truth, isn't it? Often, and most of the time, suffering, hardship, trials, persecution, is simply something that God uses to build our character. I want the character of God in my life. I don't want to be like everyone else. I want to be like Jesus. If you want to be, I met a nice cop out there in the hallway. If you want to be a cop, guess what? You have to go through cop school training. Police Academy movies they had back in the 80s. Does anyone remember Police Academy? You have to go, you have to be trained to be a cop. You have to be trained to be a teacher. You certainly have to be trained to be a doctor. You can't, I was going to say you have to be trained to be a pastor, but I wasn't trained, so that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a clue what I'm doing, uh, but that's okay. But to be a Christian, to be like Jesus, takes training. It takes refinement. It takes character development. And Jesus uses, the Holy Spirit uses, difficult situations to build our character. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Consider it pure joy. That's crazy. Pure joy. Pure as a Glasgow word, right? So I'm like, the Bible's a Glaswegian. That's okay. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's nuts. Not consider it joy when you face these specific trials, but not those ones. Consider it pure joy, like absolute, unadulterated joy, when you consider any trial of any kind. Wow. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I want, some, I want to know how to persevere. I want to learn how to endure. Because in this world, I'm going to have trouble. So I better learn perseverance and I better learn endurance. And it says this. It's really important, guys. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't want to lack in stuff. I don't want to have some of Jesus and not all of Jesus. I don't want to be lacking nothing. But this doesn't sound like Christians to me. It's not like Christians I've come into contact with. What I see, unfortunately, is people in churches all over the world that are going through a little bit of a difficult situation and rather than being joyful, rather than enduring it, rather than becoming the people that God wants them to be through it, they come up with absolute nonsense like, God's just really told me to take some time out right now. No, he hasn't. 
God doesn't tell people to take time out from church. God says, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. So where on earth Christians get, I'm not going to go to church today because I need a little bit of me time. It's mental. I don't understand it. It's not what we're supposed to be doing. I'm going through a difficult time, pastor, so I'm just going to take three months to go and visit some other churches just to refresh myself a little bit. No. Get refreshed in your house. Get refreshed in your home. Get refreshed being under the leadership that God's placed you under. God has placed you guys here for a reason, and Satan's trying to take you all out the door. So if you're feeling for any reason like you're supposed to ever go out that door, it's not God, it is Satan. And we have to resist it. We have to endure the hardship we're going through because maybe we're supposed to learn to endure. Maybe we're supposed to learn how to fix conflict rather than run away from it. Maybe we're supposed to learn stuff that we're not going to learn if we walk out the door. But you are going to learn if we persevere, if you endure, if you come to your leadership and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. How do I deal with this? How do I move forward? You might actually learn something. But we're not finishing the race. We're not completing the race because we're chucking our toys out the pram and running away before endurance gets to finish his work. So we've got a whole lot of Christians and a whole lot of churches that are anything but mature. I believe they're saved. I believe they're going to heaven. That's fine. But they ain't mature. They're still like 40-year-old men breastfeeding. It's kind of like that. It's not what it's supposed to be. We have to be mature. We have to be strong in our faith. I want God to finish his work in me. I'm fed up. I'm sick of it. Seeing preachers and pastors not finishing the race. And I'm sick and fed up of seeing Christians not finishing the race. I've seen people living godly lives their whole lives. And then their spouse dies and they end up moving in with some girl or some guy that they're not married to. I'm thinking, what on earth are you doing, man? You've just destroyed every good thing you ever said to anybody because you weren't willing to finish the race. I'm fed up seeing preachers that God's anointed to lead churches and to build churches and to build ministries. I'm fed up seeing them falling because the pressure of ministry starts to get to them and rather than being accountable, they start drinking. Rather than being accountable, they send Instagram DMs to girls they don't know because they, they think it makes them feel a little bit better. Rather than being accountable, they'll go to a secular party that they shouldn't be to with people who are not worshipping God and they get involved in stuff they shouldn't get involved in. And, and every single bit of good work they've ever done has been ruined. For what? For nothing. I said to my wife just the other week, our church in Scotland is, is exploding, man. It's like, by Scottish standards, it's insane. It's just, even that been away two weeks, and I was on the phone to my wife in the back room before I came on the platform, and she's like, church is rammed. We don't really know what to do. It's great. I love it. But I said, we need to be so careful we don't mess this up. So many people get a chance and they don't finish the race. And I'm really sorry I'm saying this, man. I feel like I'm going to offend some people here. This church has almost messed up in the past with that. And you can't do it again. God's going to give another chance. God's going to give another opportunity to this place. This church is going to be crazy influential in this town if you don't mess it up. So, and I don't know a whole lot, right? But just forget the past, man. 
Focus on what God's doing. Let endurance, let perseverance complete in you. Be a bunch of mature Christians living for Jesus in this town, and you'll transform it. You will. You will. That's the truth. The truth is we need to go through trials sometimes because, let's be honest, when do you pray the most? When do you read Scripture the most? When do you rely on God the most? When do you worship God the most? It's when you're struggling. It's when you're on the floor. It's when you've been knocked down. It's when you feel you can't breathe anymore and then all of a sudden we turn to God. We're terrible for forgetting we're Christians unless we're in a conflict. We're going through some stuff. We're going through a trial. And the first thing you do is you call your mom or you call your dad or you're like, your marriage is in trouble. So you phone some Christian bloke who's, uh, sorry, some non-Christian bloke who isn't even married and you talk to him about your marriage problems as if he's able to help you rather than turning to Jesus. We forget we're Christians. Stop forgetting you're a Christian. The first response, and if you were here yesterday, I'm only saying this because I've messed up so many times that I've got authority to say it because I know the consequences of not doing it. Pray first. Ask your mum second. Actually, ask your mum third. Pray first. And if you're struggling, come under the authority of the leadership that God's placed you under. And then you can maybe talk to some other folk. People, we've got it all back to front. Pray, pray, pray. Maybe there's people here that have been struggling and thinking about giving up. Giving up in life, giving up in faith, giving up in the church. You might be in a real bad storm right now. You might be facing extreme persecution right now. Church, take joy today because God is working in you. Take joy today and let him finish his work in you. The other thing I love about persecution, the reason, like the reason I find joy in persecution is because my greatest joy in life is telling people about Jesus. I love it. I love leading people to Jesus. I love serving Jesus. I love it. And I believe, and I know this is going to speak to some people in this room, I believe that God gives us strength to endure our hardships so we can be a witness to other people. Have you ever seen someone going through the most terrific of things and they've totally got it together? I've seen people dealing with the impending death of a spouse and they're handling that situation better than I handle a guy cutting me off on the road. And it really convicts you. And I know I'm a Christian and I look at these guys and they go, how on earth are you handling this situation like that? It's because of Jesus, isn't it? But see, if we handle situations and hardships and trials and storms the same as everyone else is out there, funnily enough, they'll not think we're any different. Because we're not. But if they see us handling a storm, handling a trial, handling persecution, handling things that by worldly standards are just not fair, and they see us handling it in a way that they just can't comprehend, I promise you, they will ask you why. Because everyone's struggling out there. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's got problems. We might have a few more problems, but I'd rather go through a thousand storms with Jesus than ten without him. Anyway, that's a side note. 
If they see you handling things different, they will ask you how. And you're then able to share Jesus with them, and you're able to change that person's life. It's true. And to prove that, check out the witness of Paul. Paul was told he had to suffer for his faith. And check this out, 2 Corinthians 11 from verse 23 says, I have worked much harder, have been in prison more frequently, have been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly in the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Wow. Anybody ever been through that? Stop complaining then. That's crazy, right? Right. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And besides everything else, I feel daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's heavy. That's heavy. But that's a witness. Let me tell you this. If the guy who was one of the richest guys in society, who was one of the most powerful guys in society, who had a life that every normal person thought they wanted, who had everything that he ever wanted or desired, and who was the one who was out persecuting and killing Christians and putting them in prison, you don't leave that for that unless you actually met Jesus. You don't. Why do you have to disprove Paul's conversion to disprove Christianity? Because you don't do that unless you've had a real encounter with a real and risen Savior. If you meet Jesus, it changes your life. It changes everything. It means that you can endure hardship. It means that you don't even complain through the hardship. You just keep praising Jesus. And if we all did that, this church would be bursting at the door. But let's be honest, like we don't. We complain. We fall out with people, we mope about, and we just we don't really show that Jesus is alive in our lives. We're good at saying it. We might even be good at doing it on a Sunday. But when you're going through the trial, are you showing people that Jesus is alive in your life? Be honest with yourself. And I know that we're not. And I know that we don't in my church properly, because if we did, you couldn't fit in a room five times this size. Look at what Paul achieved through his witness. I want to achieve the same through mine. I probably won't, but it's not going to stop me from trying. I'm going to, there's just no way you go, there's no way you can go through that unless you know Jesus. We have to be that example to people. God always has a purpose in our suffering. Our job is to trust him. Not trust them when things are good, but trust them when things are bad. Everyone's got faith after they've been healed. Everyone's got faith after they've been pulled through a storm. Do you have faith in it? Do you trust Jesus when he says no? Do you trust Jesus when he says, I'm not giving you that? 
because I've got something better for you or I've got something different for you or I want to train you or I want to equip you or I want to mature you. Do you trust Jesus in those times? The truth is, if we were honest, we would say that we don't. But we should be. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, Therefore do not lose heart. Though outwardly you are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It says, For light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We've got an incredible future and an incredible inheritance in Jesus. And what we are going to receive from following Jesus makes the many troubles we have here worth nothing. They're insignificant. They don't even compare. But so many of us allow momentary troubles, the Bible calls them light troubles, we allow them to impact us and affect us so much, we allow them to pull us away from Jesus. And half of us lose the inheritance we're supposed to get. I encourage you not to do that. The glory we are to receive is incomparable to the struggles that you're going through right now. It's incomparable. I love that. Lastly, right, this guy called Ananias. Are you all right? Are you falling out with me yet? Are we good? Right, okay. This guy, Ananias. I don't know about you. If you knew a guy was killing folk and chaining folk and ravaging the church, and Pastor Jeff said to you, going to go and pray with that guy, you'd be like, oh, hold on a wee second here. Don't know if I'm up for that. Paul is the greatest persecutor of the church that ever existed. And Jesus speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go and pray with Paul. That's really scary. So Ananias, I mean, he did say, God, are you sure? <laughs> did I hear you right? But God's like, yeah, go. For he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So it says, Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, that's incredible, man. I don't know how he said Brother Saul. I don't know if it was like Brother Saul with strength or if it was like Brother Saul. I don't know how he done it. But he goes to this guy who's killing people that he probably knew and he welcomes him into the family. We don't know nothing else about Ananias. He didn't ever preach a sermon, like big powerful sermon that we know about. He didn't start about doing miracles and stuff. But God used him to welcome a brother into the church who went on to change the world as we know it through the power of Jesus. That's the power of a welcome. And we suck at it at church. You're different from me, so I'm not going to welcome you. You look different from me, so you're not really welcome here. You'd be better off over there. But we're not, we're not good. Unless you're like us, we ain't going to love you. It's easy to love people who are like you. It's really hard to love people that are not. That's what we're called to do. This guy is an unsung hero. He's the guy that got to embrace the Apostle Saul and welcome him into our family. God needs people in churches 
who are simply willing to embrace people who aren't like us. God needs people that are willing to do that. And God loves to use people in doing that. You think to yourself, you ever thought to yourself, why did God need Ananias? Jesus, like, to, to remind, Jesus met with Paul on the road. Jesus could have told Paul what to do, but he didn't. He told him to go and have Ananias tell him what to do. That's kind of crazy. Do you guys have Ikea? Not here. But you know sometimes you buy furniture and you have to build it for yourself? There's nothing more frustrating. And if you're a guy, you don't use the instructions because we don't do instructions. <laughs> you're like, we'll, we'll learn by trial and error. <laughs> and you're all the way at the end and you're like, this last bit doesn't fit. I've got a spare bit. <laughs> And then, and then you put it up and it falls down and you're like, that spare bit was obviously important. Anyway, I, I, don't, I don't like it, but I'm going off on a tangent. But you're working in stuff. Like, I love these guys are my new pals. They've got cool cars. And he was talking to me about, like, making cars with your dad and all that stuff, right? And I guarantee you, when you were a kid, you went into your dad's garage, as you call it, or your dad's shop that you do the cars in. And you're like, daddy, daddy, can I help? And you're not any help to your dad, but he gives you a plastic screwdriver. And he makes you think you're helping because he just wants to spend time with his kid. Do you know what I mean? They're not helping you. They're certainly not doing the job better than you. But we just love to do things with our kids if you're a good father, don't we? Jesus delights in using you. God delights in using you. It's nothing to do with your skill set, by the way. It's certainly nothing to do with your ability. It's all to do with your availability. Are you available to be used by God? Never underestimate the power of one person going to one person and extending a hand. Never underestimate that. What goes on out there is probably way more important than whatever goes on in here. I know you know that, but it's true. Never underestimate that. Every single person has a role to play. And you have no idea who it is you're reaching out a hand to or what they're going to be able to do on the back of you leading them to Jesus. Has anyone here ever heard of a guy called Edward Kimball? Good. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. And he wasn't a very good Sunday school teacher. He was, like, he was the guy that done it because no one else was able to do it or no one else wanted to do it, right? So Edward Kimball's a Sunday school teacher somewhere in America. And he realized he'd never led anyone to Jesus before. And he just wanted to lead someone to Jesus. So he was praying about this and praying about this and praying about this. I just want to lead someone to Jesus. And he's walking down the street one day and God says to him, I want you to go into that shoe shop and buy a pair of shoes and tell the shoe salesman about me. So Edward Kimball's terrified. He's shaking. He's never done this before. And he stores into the shoe shop and he is served by a shoe salesman by the name of D.L. Moody. Some of you will have heard of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody 
gave up his job and went to his church. And the church refused to give him membership because he wasn't clever enough. That's the truth. They said, go away and learn the Bible. And if you come back in five years' time and you know the Bible, you can come in. We would not do that now, would we? Right? So, so, so D.L. Moody went away and he came back some time later and they accepted him into membership. And the first thing he did was said, I want to lead a Bible class. And he said, there's no way we are trusting you with the people that we have in this church. If you want to run a Bible class, you need to go out onto the streets and you need to find your own people. So D.L. Moody went out on the streets and he started sharing the gospel with people on the street, homeless people, people living in the street, all of that stuff. The people that the church didn't ever reach out to before. And genuinely, the next week, I don't know if you know this, he turned up in his church with 200 people. D.L. Moody. It doesn't end there, by the way. D.L. Moody became one of the greatest Bible teachers that ever lived. He came over to England to an to a, a church of England where they all talk with posh accents and stuff, right? They're very well to do in England. I preach in a hoodie. English people preach in a shirt and tie, right? Not all of them. But, so there's a pastor in England called F.D. Meyer. You can check out all these names later and see pictures of them if you want. Proper Englishman with a proper English church. And remember, Moody was just a shoe salesman, an uneducated shoe salesman. But this guy Meyer had heard about D.L. Moody, had never heard him preach because you don't have live streaming back then and couldn't check him out before he came. So D.L. Moody comes and he preaches in his church and Maya heard him speaking and, he, and he's like really rough American twang, not speaking the proper Queen's English. And this guy, Meyer was not happy at all. He was going to send them back home that week. He wasn't going to have them stay in his church any longer because he wasn't good enough to be in his church. But later that day, he was, talk, he, was, he was overhearing actually some older ladies in his church talking about how the message from D.L. Moody transformed their lives and changed their lives and he just felt mega convicted. And actually, he realized that he wasn't even saved. He wasn't even a Christian. He was just leading a church because that's what people do. So this pastor who invited D.L. Moody to England gave his life to Jesus and guess where God sent him? America. Sent him back. Or to pay back what D.L. Moody had done. So he came to America and he even met a guy called Wilbur Chapman. And Wilbur Chapman was not really interested in faith. And he recounts saying that Maya said to him, are you willing to accept Jesus? And he said, I'm willing to be made willing. That was his answer. And you know what? Sometimes that's all it takes. I'm just, I'm willing to be willing for God to move in my life right now. You may have came here today and you weren't expecting God to move. You just came because someone brought you to hear a crazy Scotsman speaking. But are you willing to be made willing to receive Jesus today? That's what happened. Chapman gave his life to Jesus and brought more than 7,000 people to Jesus. One of the people he brought to Jesus was an ex-pro ball player called Billy Sunday. Does anyone know who Billy Sunday was? An ex-pro ball player. He became a very famous evangelist and he led thousands of people to Jesus. And he held a small event in a small town called Charlotte in 1926. 
And in the early 1930s, the town called him to come back, but he was too old. And he sent one of his kind of disciples, a guy he'd been training, called Mordecai Ham. Don't know if many people have heard of Mordecai Ham. He wasn't actually a very well-respected preacher. He was a little bit like myself. He caused trouble and stuff and offended people in that. He was controversial. He spoke about hell. And churches don't like people doing that all the time because that scares people. And so they didn't like it. So people were trying to stop the churches, the local churches in Charlotte, were telling their people that they weren't allowed to go and listen to this guy, Mordecai Ham, speak. But what do people do when they're not allowed to go and do something? They all went on mass. The tent was full every night, rammed full of people, going to hear what this guy was saying and why on earth were they not allowed to listen to him. And then the last night of the crusade, a young man of 16 years of age came forward and his name was Billy Graham. And he gave his life to Jesus and Christian history and the world changed. I get saved through the ministry of Billy Graham when I was eight years old. D.L. Moody preached 146 years ago in Kirk and Tillich, and after that, my church was planted. So I'm so connected to this story. It was crazy being a, so far away. But what hits me is without Edward Kimball having the guts to go into a shoe store and lead one person to Jesus, we might not have Billy Graham. You have no idea what God's going to do through you. We don't need to know. We just need to trust Him. Your ability means nothing to Jesus. Your inability means even less. Your availability means everything. Are you available for God to use? Are you available for God to send? If you are, things are going to change. If you are, lives are going to be transformed. If you are, your future is phenomenal. I believe that. Far too many churches, it's just the pastor or the staff that people think they're the ones that get used by God and I don't get used by God. God can use any of you. God can use any of you. Your role is not any less important than ours. It's probably more important. Serve Jesus. Love Jesus. Love people. Share Jesus with people, the church will explode. I know that. Notice how when Paul gets saved, said immediately he was baptized, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, and he proved that Jesus was, he went to work immediately, he got baptized immediately. We're really bad in church at not doing what the Bible says. Immediately Paul get baptized, but in our churches we put people through six months of baptism class to make sure they're suitable for baptism before we baptize them and stuff. Just baptize immediately and you get to work. You go to work. You share Jesus with people. I believe there's people in this room today that have been Christians for maybe a while, but you've never got to work yet. You've never stepped out your comfort zone. You've never made that decision. I'm going to be part of the team here. I'm going to get off the bench, put my strip on and get on the field. I'm going to start serving Jesus. I'm going to make a difference. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to make a decision today to get off the bench and to get to work and to start seeing your communities changing. Start seeing your schools changing. Start seeing your families changing. Start seeing your friends changing because Jesus can do it. All he needs is your availability. All he needs is you to go, yeah, yes, me too, God. And God will do something powerful such as what you could never ever have believed in your life. I know he can because he's done it through me. 
and he can do through you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray right now. Jesus, I pray right now that you would move powerfully in this house. Jesus, I'm aware I've said a lot today, but I pray that the words that you've wanted to impact people would be impacting people right now. God, I pray, whether people are watching online, whether people are in this room, anyone who's under the sound of my voice, God, right now, would feel deep in their heart the thing that you're challenging them with the, the most from this message. And that rather than being defensive, rather than being aggressive or angry, people would be open to receiving what you've said to them today. They'd be willing to make a change in their life. They'd be willing to be corrected. They'd be willing to be transformed. And that people would make a decision today to be used by you. Whether they've been a Christian for a 40 years, five minutes, make a decision today to be used by you. God, would you give people the courage and bravery today to respond to your message if that's what you want to do? And just while all our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I believe there's people in here who have never went to work for God. You've believed in Him, but you know in truth you've never went to work. But today you want to recommit your life to God's plans and not your plans, to His purposes and not your purposes. Today for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, you want to make yourself available to be part of God's plans for home church. And more importantly, to the kingdom of God. Can I just ask while all the eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if that's you, would you just put up your hand real quick so I know who I'm praying for? If you want to commit today to being part of the solution here at Home Church, to serving Jesus, to being on his team, just stick your hand up real quick so I can see it and take it back down again. And I'll make sure that I come and pray with you at the end of this service. Does anyone want to respond to that today? to get busy for Jesus, to be used by Jesus. Maybe you think that you don't have the abilities, you don't have the capabilities, you don't know what you could do, but you can commit today to being an Ananias. You can commit to being someone that just welcomes someone as they come into church. Is God speaking to anyone today? Is that for anyone today? Thank you, I see your hand, pal. I want to give out some time because I don't want to miss folk. And I really believe this is a moment where people can really make a decision to do something different. Is there anyone else wants to make a decision today to get busy for Jesus and start serving him in this place? Well, praise God for those that have. I also believe there's people here today that are holding a grudge against God for the situation that you're in or a situation that you've been through before. And rather than allowing God to comfort you and build you and mature you and use you through it, you've held a grudge and you've been unhappy and you've been angry with God. And I believe today maybe some people need to repent of not fully trusting God through the storm. Again, if that's you today, you want to just stick your hand up real quick so I know you. And if I can, I'll come personally pray with you at the end to see your hand there. Yeah, is there anyone else wants to do that? I know that's kind of brave. See your hand. I don't care if your leadership, I don't care like what your situation is here. If you know you've been holding stuff against God and you want to repent of that today, 
you want to allow God to heal you. You want to allow God to build you up. You want to allow God to make you the person he wants to be. Just stick your hand up real quick so I can see it. I've seen a, I've seen a few going up. Is there anyone else today who wants to do that? See your hand. Brilliant. Lastly, and really importantly, I don't know who you are. Everyone in this room might be a Christian. But if you're the guy or you're the girl in this room today that's a million miles away from Jesus, if you're the person that your family and friends would think is are the last person on earth that is ever going to respond to Jesus, but you know, like Paul knew, that you need to make an immediate decision to change your life and to follow Jesus, would you just stick your hand up real quick so I can see it? And I'm definitely coming to pray with you. I'd love to shake your hand and welcome you into our church family. Again, it might not mean anyone for anything today, but is there anyone here who wants to respond to Jesus and to accept him? Well, if you decide you do, why don't you come talk to me at the end and I'd love to, to pray with you. Um, I'm going to go, I believe there's like a prayer team at the back. I'm just going to go stand at the back. And for those of you that responded today and raised your hand, and for those of you that should have but didn't, please come talk to me, talk to the prayer team. And I believe God's going to do some really powerful stuff in this house today. Thank you so much for having me. I feel really blessed to have been here. I hope you understood me. I hope I didn't talk too long. Bless you all. Thank you.